evening. Now we're going to go to the book of First Corinthians chapter 5 for just a few minutes tonight. And uh, I'm not going to get too far into this. I'm going to read a number of verses. This will be, you can follow me, because I'm going to go slow enough that you can follow me. This is the 13th message that I preached out of the book of First Corinthians. We've titled this series, uh, The Corinthian Crisis. You say, well, why would you title, uh, uh, why would you title a series, The Corinthian Crisis, well, I would ask you the question, have you read the book of 1 Corinthians lately? Have you read the book of 2 Corinthians lately? This church was in crisis, and Paul was coming in uh, as, an, as an apostle, as an overseer, and what he was doing, he was bringing the mind of God on the subjects that they were struggling with and the problems they were having, the mind of God, the will of God. He was speaking forth God's answers to them. I mean, no, God has an answer for us, and it's in his word. So let, let me read this. And I, I really, uh, as I, I don't know how far I'm going to get with this. Uh, I've titled this teaching tonight. The 13th message is God's holiness and church discipline. Did you hear me? God's holiness and church discipline. Now that last part, church discipline very few churches, very few churches in our modern day even take anything like that seriously. I heard someone say not long ago that a church that doesn't practice church discipline cannot say that they are a New Testament church. Now that's very strong, but I completely agree with it because it's in the Word of God. How about let's, how about let's be a church of the Word of God. Now, there, there are a brand of churches, and they've been going on for a long, long time now, and they're called seeker-sensitive churches. And basically what that means is, in, in one aspect, I guess you would say, is that they, they kind of start this way. They go, uh, the way it all started was they would go out to neighborhoods and knock doors and talk to people and basically ask them, what do you want in a church? If you were going to go to church, what, do you, what would you want in a church? And then what they try to do is design a church that those around that, that is the craziest thing that I've ever heard of in my life. That is the most, that's spiritual insanity to think that you would go out to lost and carnal people, people that are, are lost, darkened, away from God, cut off from God, under the wrath of God, and think that they could have any input in what a church should be like. I want to remind us this evening, this is not your church. It's certainly not my church. I never owned any church, don't care to own one, but I'll tell you who, who, whose church it is. It's the one who died on the cross and who had nail spirits in his hands and his feet. It belongs to Jesus. He's the only one that has the right to govern his church. You go outside that, you're like Yuza who touched the ark and God killed him. It's Jesus' church, and there's only one book in this world today that is God's government for the church of any time. First century, second century, you know, 2018, it doesn't matter. It is the Word of God. This is God's government, and we need to take it very seriously because if we don't practice church discipline, can we even say that we're a New Testament church? Oh, we have good music. Oh, we're... We have Easter programs. We have this program. We give to the poor, this and that. All that doesn't matter anything if you don't stay close 
to the Word of God. I believe that we're in the last times. I mean, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came. Think about that. If, if, if Paul and Peter and them believed that they were in the last days, Peter said in Acts 2, remember? He said in Acts 2, he said, it, that Joel said that in the last days, God was poured his spirit. In Acts 2, God poured out his spirits. That began the last days. So what can we say? Now, I can't set times. Any preacher sets a time, you, you know they're wrong. So you can't set a time for the coming of the Lord. There's no time that you could set and be accurate. Only the Father knows those things. But what we can know is that we are 2,000 years removed from the ascension of our Lord. This church age is coming to a close, my friend. I'm telling you, we are, we are speeding. The clock is speeding down to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what, what we know, we're in these last times. Here's what the, it says about the last times in, in 2 Timothy. In the last times... Men are going to be given over to doctrines of demons. They're not going to endure sound doctrines, but they're going to heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, just what they want to hear. I'm going to find someone who will just tell me what I want to hear. Well, isn't that how the secret sensitive church, isn't that what I just described to you? Just go out and what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And what you're actually doing is you're appealing to sinful nature. You're appealing to men's flesh and their evil, sinful, fallen nature. And I can tell you this, the kingdom of God is completely contrary to our old nature. It, 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 you, to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself. It's not natural to want to deny your, your, your humanness and to take up your cross and to get rid of your sin and to follow Jesus. That's not natural. It's not a natural thing. But the kingdom of God is completely different than the, the kingdoms of this world. It's not a sub-kingdom. Not a sub-kingdom. The kingdom of God is a counter-kingdom that is taking over. You hear that? It's taking over. And one of these days, it's, as the waters cover the sea, the knowledge and the glory of God will fill this earth because this earth belongs to the Lord, and he's taking it back. So my point in saying, I've just got to the title, God's holiness and church discipline. To be a New Testament church, we have to, to keep the church holy. There has to be church discipline. And we're going to look at a little case tonight. And I'm actually not going to look much at the case. I'm going to probably come back next week and deal more with the church discipline part. Because basically it's not where the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not the part that the Holy Spirit wanted me to emphasize this evening. But let's read this. Here's a case. Man, what a case. Glad I'm not pastoring this church right here. Watch this. First Corinthians chapter uh, First Corinthians five and one. It is actually reported that there is sexual sexual immorality among you, and such such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And I just say that's really gross. I mean, the Bible just lays it out there sometimes. And then it says, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. Now, can I tell you this? This may sound strange to you and maybe not. 
There's been times that I've been in worship services before, and everybody was hipping and hopping and jumping and praising, and it looked like, and in my heart, I just felt grieved. I felt grieved. I was in a church in Mississippi one time, and my wife and I, for about a year, we traveled, and uh, some way the Lord's always given me a sensitive spirit about things. And I was in a church, and we were ministering there, and we came in on Friday night, and we ministered at the church. And I, I ministered, in, and I won't even tell you what it was. I, everybody gathered, and, and I gave a devotion, and then we'd pray, and then we started the ministry and getting ready for the next several days. And we were there to rally the church together. And so I gave, it, I gave the craziest devotion that I've ever given in my life. I mean, I mean, if I told you the text that I took and the subject I took, you would say, What? But it's what the Lord told me to give. And later on, after all this stuff started happening, I realized what the Lord was doing. But the Lord had always given me a sensitive spirit. There are times that I, I sense things, and I, sometimes I don't know exactly what they are. I'm like, okay, Lord, what is that? What am I sensing? What are you trying to lead me? But as we went along during the week, the Lord began to bring deep conviction on this church in Mississippi. It's out in the middle of the country. And when we had that meeting, I'm telling you, I didn't think there was a house within 500 miles of that place. My wife can tell you, it was in southern Mississippi, and we were out in the country, this country church, Pentecostal church. I didn't think there was a house within a 500 miles. And when those meetings started, those old country people started coming out of those woods and coming out of everywhere. And we started having powerful meetings Holy Spirit started bringing conviction. And I won't go into all the, that happened, but the Lord showed us what was going on. After that meeting was over, the pastor resigned the church. You say, well, that wasn't a very good meeting. No, that was a great meeting because he had had a relationship with a woman in the church. And through our ministry, God brought such deep conviction on him that he, he just gave up the church. He resigned the church because of sin in his life. And I heard later, I heard later that he got right with God. He got under, under discipline. He got under authority. He humbled himself. And I'd heard later that he was restored back to ministry. Amen. Praise the Lord. But I sent something in that church. I sent something. I mean, people speaking in tongues or doing this or shouting. Everybody's seems on the surface. It seems good. But in my heart, I was like, something's not right here. I mean, if you're in leadership and if you walk close to God, the Lord will show you things. The Lord will show you things. In this church, instead of they're puffed up and they're all prideful, Paul said here, but you've not rather mourn. There's a time for mourning. And here's what Paul said that that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I, have in, for I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have it already judged as though I were present, he says. As though, him who has done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you were gathered, to, when uh, you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. 
I mean, we're talking about something serious here. Paul is saying, remove this man from the fellowship. And look at read on. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are leaven. In other words, you're truly are leaven. You, you are truly saved. You've been leavened. You've come to know the Lord. You've been made holy. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then he says, I'll read the rest of this. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with the sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of, the, of, the, of this world, nor of the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. So in other words, they misunderstood his teaching. Paul was saying the church is to be holy. We're not to associate with people who call themselves Christians, that they live just like the pagans. But he said, you can't, we can't not, we can't avoid the world. We you know, you may work with somebody that's immoral. Well, work with them. Love them and be a light to them. They misunderstood his teaching. So let's read on. Then he says, uh, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or nor covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or extortioner, not even to eat with such a one, with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves this evil, the evil person. So Paul is saying in a nutshell, you have to deal with sin in the church. You have to deal with unrepentant, high-handed is what it is. We're not talking about some minor mistake. That's not even what we're even remotely talking about. We're talking about high-handed, unrepentant sin must be dealt with. Must be dealt with. So let's look at this. We've already prayed. So Paul's dealing with a scandal in the church, and it's a sexual scandal. It's a scandal that's affecting the church. Paul writes to them, and he challenges them. I mean, they're having church. They're having Bible study. They're having worship. They're, they're doing their thing but they're not dealing with really what they need to deal with. So Paul, what does he do? He challenges them to deal with this situation for the sake of Christ's witness in the world. Now let's look at this. Let's look at the case just for a moment, and then I'll go to some scriptures the Lord led me to today. First of all, I would say that this case, we know that it's an extreme case of immorality. Any immorality is wrong. And I'm going, to, I'm going to define what morality is in the sight of God's Word in just a moment. But what we, what we see is this is an extreme case of sexual immorality that a man has his father's wife. We don't know much more than that. We don't know if his father's still living. We don't know if it's his, you know, probably his stepmother. Maybe his father divorced the lady and his father's still living and he married the lady. But whatever the kind of scenario is, it says in the text, it's the kind of immorality that they don't even happen in the world very often. So it's an extreme case. Now, by the way, for Paul to say that, it had to be an extreme case because Paul is writing to those in Corinth, one of the most immoral cities on the face of the earth ever, ever. 
And Paul said, it's an extreme case, and it's in the church. Secondly, what we would say about this case is this. It, it, was, well, it was a well-known case, both in the church and outside the church. Number three, the man probably was in the church, meaning that he was a part of the church. The woman probably was not a part of the church. I won't tell you why I believe that, but anyway, we'll move on. Number four, no one in leadership was doing anything about it. They were having church, having Bible study, going through the motions, but yet they were ignoring a very serious situation in the church. Let me just tell you, church discipline's hard. It's hard. If you act too quick, you're seen as judgmental. If you don't act at all, you're seen as liberal. You get run over from both sides. It's hard. Let me tell you, being a pastor in our modern day is one of the hardest things anyone could do. Everybody has their answer. Everybody has their YouTube favorite preacher. Everybody feels, but I can tell you, it's hard. I deal with a lot of preachers. I'm telling you, it's very hard in our sinful day. And the church has become very carnal, very rebellious, a lot of sin. This stuff has to be dealt with. Why? Because it's not our church. You're never going to, listen, let me tell you this. If you ever see me going knocking doors, asking people what they want from the church, then you need to leave this church and never come back because you know I have lost out with God. I'm not concerned with what the world wants the church to be. I want to get on my knees and say, Lord, what do you want your church to be? It's, he said, I will build the church. He didn't say we'd poll the neighborhood. He said, Jesus said, I will build my church, my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Trinity Life Church is going to be a New Testament church. But it's his church. So possibly they're ignoring this situation simply because they're hoping it'll get better maybe on its own. Or maybe they're glorying in what they're calling their tolerance. You know, in, in the modern day, they call tolerance love. But I can tell you this, much that passes for love in the world, in the, in the world of out there is not God's love. And it's not true love because God's love is righteous and leads us to righteousness. So we're dealing with a situation, we're dealing with a scandal. Probably come back next week and deal with some of the kind of the steps. But I'm, I'm going to look at a few things tonight. Don't have a lot of time, but here we go. Number one, let's look at God's standard of morality for his people. Did you hear that? God's standard of morality for his people. I would say this. The Lord is concerned with the way that we live. Can I say that again? The Lord is concerned with the way we live. You say, how, how do we know that? Well... As you look at how the scriptures are written, you know, you look at like the epistles, usually they, they're set up very much like Leviticus is. You have like Ephesians, three chapters doctrine, three chapters very practical, marriage, how you interact with the world, how do you live, all this. The Lord is concerned with the way that we live. True salvation is transformational. The grace of God empowers us for godly living. I could never save myself no matter how hard I tried I can't be saved by work self-righteousness won't save you good works won't save you but but when you place your faith in Jesus Christ really the greatest miracle that you can imagine takes place greater than the parting of the Red Sea greater than somebody being raised from the dead physically greater than blind eyes being opened and that is the transformation of a human heart 
A person can truly be changed, and there's only one way for them to truly be changed, and that's this. The gospel changes us. This gospel has supernatural energy to change the heart of a person. I mean, look at the Bible. Look at Paul, how he completely transformed from one that hated Christ to one that loved Christ so much that he really laid his life down in sacrifice and suffering for Christ and his work. It's amazing testimony. But the gospel is transformational. And what it does is the gospel empowers us for godly living. It says in the book of Titus, chapter 2 and verse 13, very famous verse. Here's what it says. It says here, um, Titus 2 and 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord, of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. If you look back up in verse 12, it says, uh, verse 11, rather, for the, grace, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse, 11, verse 12, teaching, uh, notice this, here's what the grace of God teaches. Some of you say, well, I've got grace. I've got God's grace. Okay, do you really, do we have the real grace of God? Verse 12 says, teaching us, here's what grace does, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live, are you looking at this? Soberly, righteously, and godly. Are you watching it? Come on. Righteously when we get to heaven. Is that what that said? Is it up there? What does it say? Now, in this present world. Is that what it says? That we live righteously, denying ungodliness, and worldly us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world present age. The great Charles Spurgeon said this, if the grace which I profess to have received leaves me in the same condition I was before I received it, it is not New Testament grace. If the grace which I have professed to receive leaves me in the same condition I was before I received it. It's not Bible grace. It's not New Testament grace. Paul didn't keep on killing Christians. The demon-possessed man didn't keep cutting himself. There was a change. The old song says, Oh, what a change there's been since Jesus came into my life. The power of sin is broken because of the cross and what Jesus has done. Transformational. Salvation is a powerful change of nature. I'll just give you these references. 2 Peter 1.4, Romans 1.16, 2 Corinthians 5.17, all talk about the change, the new nature, the power there is. Now, we're, we're in, in the book of Thessalonians, it's a parallel passage that really speaks to the way God wants us to live. And what God has called every believer, everybody say every believer, God's called every believer to sexual purity. You say, well, you know, I want to know what the will of God is. I, I was a guy years ago in a church, and I, I went there, stayed for six, seven years pastoring in that church. And the day I came there, right close when I came there, you know, I know God has something for me. I'm going to find his will. And six, seven years later, he was saying the same thing. 
He was looking for something that was kind of mysterious and some voice from heaven. Can I tell you this? This is so clear. You can know. I mean, there's things that God may specifically show you, but this is the will of God. Now, I'm going to show you the will of God. How many of you want to see the will of God this evening? And hear it read. Here it is. First Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as, we, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Here it is. Here's how you to live. For you know what the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his, his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, not like the world, who do not even know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, hear this, but, say it with me, but holiness. What's the message tonight? God's holiness and church discipline. God has called us to, look at it, holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us the Holy Spirit. Here's the word. You reject this teaching right here? You reject the words that I've just read to you? You're not rejecting me. You're not re rejecting some church. You're rejecting God himself, because this is God's will for us who are his followers. Now, here's a question. What does sexual purity mean? What does that mean? Now, the reason I ask that question is because the answer that you and I will give is dependent on whether we adopt the world's values or we adopt the Word of God. So what, what, people, what, what you think may be sexually pure may be totally wrong if you adopt the wrong principles, but we're adopting the Word of God, and we're going with the Word of God. So I'm going to give these to you for the Christian. Here's the will of God in the area of morality and sexual purity, here's what the Word of God says. And we have these young folks here tonight, and I would say this, chastity before marriage. Chastity before marriage. Here's what, here's what 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 says. Very clear. Let no one despise your youth. And the youth say, say youth, that's me. That's the youth. You're the youth, right? I'm not the youth. I got too much gray hair. You're the youth. Here's what it says. Here's God's will for you. Here's what God wants for your lives. Here's, here's life at its best. Here's life that's abundant. Here's what God's plan is. Here's, what li here's life that will bring fulfillment and not sorrow, but happiness. Here's what he says. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believer in word, conduct, love, Spirit, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. That's God's will. Chastity before marriage. I mean, the Lord was so serious about this. We're here in, in our Christmas season, and Sunday we're going to have a great family service, and our kids are going to be here, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting a sermon together that's going to keep the kids engaged. Stephanie has got some graphics she's going to help me with. At least uh, she told me she was. 
and we're going to have some graphics that are going to engage our boys and girls, but it's going to be for the whole family, you see. But think about this. Here in this Christmas season, Mary was found with child. Joseph, being a just man, was going to do what? Was going to put her away privately. In other words, they weren't married yet, but yet there had to be a divorce because in Jewish culture, the betrothal was so binding that you had to get a divorce to get out of that commitment. And so he thought there was immorality in that betrothal period. And so he was planning to put her away privately. Certainly his heart was broken over that. And of course the angel, the Lord said to him, told him what was happening. But, but hear this, here's what sexual purity means in the church. It means chastity before marriage. So Hebrews chapter number 13 tells us what that means within marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number four. So it's chastity before marriage. It's fidelity within marriage. Chastity before marriage, fidelity within marriage. Chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse four. Marriage is honorable among all. And the bed is undefiled, meaning the sexual relationship within the marriage bed is not sinful. It's undefiled. It's, it's the will of God. It's, it's the only place where it is the will of God. But look at this. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. That's twice I've read to you that God will deal very strongly with those who live in immorality. I read it in Thessalonians, and here I read it in the book of Hebrews. So, so think about this. What is sexual purity? Chastity before marriage, fidelity within marriage. But also, I would add this. We need to have clean hearts and clean minds. Do you know that the enemy wants to corrupt our minds? The enemy wants to corrupt the minds of the young people. But I can tell you, young men and women, not just you, some of the dirtiest people in the world are in nursing homes. I'm telling you, God's honest truth. I've ministered in enough nursing homes to know what goes on in nursing homes. Some of the dirtiest old men you've ever met in your life are in nursing homes. Not just young. It's Satan wants to capture the minds and corrupt the minds and corrupt the spirits of human beings. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5 and 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He said, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Same chapter. I mean, you know, the Bible will, if I didn't have thousands of, if I didn't have any commentaries, I could understand the Bible because the Holy Spirit teaches us. Matthew 5 and 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 28 says that if a man looks upon a woman, he has lusted after in his heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, verse 8. Lust after her in his heart, verse 28. The desires, the, the thoughts, the emotions, we need that purified. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit can enable us to have good thoughts, pure thoughts, and empower us to live right. What we need daily is a word wash. We need word wash every day. Every day. Washing ourselves. David said, I've kept, thy, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
See, if you'll read this word and hide it away in your heart and memorize it, it's not hard to memorize scripture. Put a, put a, put a scripture on a three by five and put the reference on the other side and just go throughout the day and just every once in a while, look at that. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then walk away from it. And then every once in a while, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. You'll be amazed at how the Lord will help you to memorize scriptures. We need our minds renewed. We need to stay clean in our hearts. The only way to do that is through the word of God and through the spirit of God. Staying in his presence. See, what is, what is God's standard of morality for his people? Chastity, fidelity. Now, let's look at this quickly. I think there um, <clears throat> time to do all the things you want to do, is there? I may come back and teach on this a little more, but I want to I want to talk about how sin just quickly. Let me land this. <clears throat> Try to come back and deal with the discipline, kind of do some kind of how that works. But here's the thing I want you to see. Sin has an effect. Sin has an effect. You don't get no one. Get, no, not any, no one gets by with sin. There's an effect in several levels on sin. First of all, sin affects the individual person. And, and what I mean by that is, first of all, I would say this under that thought, is sin leads us away from God. Jot this verse down, 2, 2, 2 Peter 1, 4. In that verse, it talks about the divine, we've been makers, uh, partakers of the divine nature. And then in the latter part of that verse, it says, the, we've, we've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, literally evil desire. So, the, so the, the divine nature's leading us toward God. The, the, the corrupt nature is leading us away from God. You see that battle that's going on there in our world? Sin leads us away from God. Sin robs us of the fellowship we could have with God. See, the Lord will only fellowship with us in the light. 1 John 1, 7. If, if, if you're in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood cleanses us from all sin. God will not fellowship with us if we're walking in the darkness. So sin robs us of fellowship. Sin can affect us physically. You read first, uh, the, the, first the text I read, the chapter I read in our anchor verse tonight, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. It says, uh, turn the man over to Satan that his flesh may be may suffer that he may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ verse 5 I'm kind of misquoting that a little bit deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so in other words there was going to be such an authority in church discipline that God was going to pull his hand back and allow this man to suffer Sin can bring suffering physically. You say, well, that's an isolated verse. Well, in the same book, 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through 30, because they were desecrating the table of the Lord, it said many of them were sick. So I wonder how much sickness in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ across our land is because of sin. Now, certainly I don't believe that every sickness is because of sin. I believe we live in a fallen world, and some of that's genetic. But, but, but in some cases, if we're true to the Word of God, we have to say, yes, some types of sin cause people to suffer physically. It affects a person. It can affect them, uh, individual person. It can affect a person mentally. Sin I'm talking about. It can affect a person mentally. It can affect a person emotionally. 
I read today in Matthew chapter 26, and I read all the way down to 27, verse 5, and you have the effects of sin there. First of all, you have it in Peter, the apostle. He denied the Lord, and the Bible said he went out and wept bitterly. His sin affected his emotions. As you read on into chapter 27, Judas, did not, Judas betrayed the Lord. He sold Jesus out, was so emotionally shot through with guilt and shame that he goes out and hangs himself. Don't tell me that sin doesn't have an effect on our lives. It affects us. Think about what I've just said. It affects the individual, leads us away from God, robs us of fellowship, can affect us physically, can affect us mentally, and can affect us emotionally. And only, listen, only the blood of Jesus can take away the effects of sin and bring peace in our heart and bring peace in our conscience. But not only that, I'm, I'm going quick here, sin also affects the whole church. This man's sin was affecting the entire church. We have such a, a, a prideful, individualistic kind of deal going on in the church in America. Well, let me tell you something. It's the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're connected, hands and feet and ear. It's all connected. We're connected. We've been made to drink of one spirit, and we are connected together in the body of Christ. What we do when we become a Christian and become part of a body See, why church discipline doesn't work, I'm telling you, I, I've been doing this over 30 years, and I can tell you why it doesn't work most of the time. It doesn't work, first of all, because what Paul said is this, I, I'm ready to punish disobedience when your obedience is complete. In other words, the church, unless the church is ready to embrace the Word of God and obey God without fear or favor, then, you, then people just basically walk out the door and go down the street to the next church, and you, you call that pastor and say, hey, man, you got some sinning folks in your church. Oh, well, you know, they're, they're giving tithes. Oh, well, they're, you know, they increased my attendance. I could care less about the tithe or the attendance. I care about the righteousness of God. Come on. Years ago, many years ago, leave nameless, of course, not wanting to embarrass anyone. But uh, a number of years ago, we had an elder in the church that was just leaving his wife, going to turn, turn, leave his wife. Sat in my office after Sunday morning service, leaving my wife. We're, I'm divorcing her. We're getting a divorce. They were leaders in the church, this church. I loved them. And I could tell they were on two different pages. I could tell he had been thinking about this a long time a long time. And I could tell she just heard about it. He was there stone cold. She was broken and torn up about it. I said, let's counsel. Let's talk. No, no, we're, we're done. We're good. We, he even went as far to say, this is the will of God. We feel like this is the Lord. I mean, people tell you all kinds of things. And I confronted him to his face, to his face, one-on-one. -on -one, I confronted him, pointed my finger at him, and said, you need to not do this. Listen, you're an elder in this church. You're a leader in this church. You teach the Bible class. You're a leader in this church. You, you have put yourself up as an example. Look what you're doing. Look at the example you're going to set. I was angry. I can tell you, I was angry. You, you, you were wrong. You were, you were, this is wrong. It's amazing what people will do when they just want to do it. 
It's amazing how people deceive themselves. It's amazing how people will convince themselves. When they want to do something, they'll say, the Lord is all right, it's all right, I'm an exception. No, you're not an exception. The Word of God is the Word of God. And he did divorce her. Went on down the road, went to another church, and I'm sure singing and all this and that, but not dealing with the sin. Are you hear what I'm saying tonight? I'm being straight with you. Not dealing with the sin. There's so much sin in churches, it's unreal. And so what happened is, years later, years, la- years later, knocked on the church office. I looked up through the glass window, and there sat the gentleman, stood the gentleman. He came in, sat across from me, gaunt, old-looking, and he wept. Wept like a baby. Should have listened. Should have listened to you. Apologized. I'm sorry for my testimony, for what the poor example that I was for the church, etc. See, we have spiritual leaders for a reason. Are you hearing what I'm saying? People that will confront us are not those who hate us. They're the ones who really love us. See? Somebody that will just tolerate things and, and, and won't say, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Recently, we've gone through a tough time in our church. And I came to a point, I'm not tolerating and I'm not cohabiting with the spirit of Jezebel. I won't do it. Won't do it. Not tolerating a spirit of Jezebel. And I asked some leaders to help me in this church. Help me. This is what's going on. You know what they did? They checked out. They would rather side with the spirit of Jezebel than, than live for the holy word of God. There's just a few men that helped me. That man helped me. J.R.'s not here tonight. J.R. confronted it, and he helped me. We're less, but I'm telling you, God has a plan for this church. If we will be holy and righteous and won't tolerate sin, you can't defy true authority and get by with it you cannot do it you cannot do it here's something i've learned about the lord he doesn't tolerate rebellion he's merciful with our sins our stumblings our weaknesses our foibles our little things that we do completely but even in the old testament there was not a sacrifice for high-handed rebellion sacrifice for all kind of sins all kind of sins Here's, if you sin, do this, Moses. If you do this, do this. But for high-handed rebellion, no sacrifice for it. None. The Lord's going to build his church, a holy, paper, a holy people that we can present to him one day, a bride that is so beautiful and so loving and so wonderful, but only if we'll cling to the word of God. Are you hearing me this evening? You hear me? God's holiness and church discipline. God is humbling us. He's, he's making us trust in him more than we ever trust in him. And I believe there's streams of blessing about to come. I'm telling you, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a flashy person. I'm not a kind of a, you know, car salesman guy. Hey, you know, buy this here. A little old lady from Pasadena drove this. I'm just kind of a plain vanilla person. And I'm just telling you that I I truly believe that there's blessing coming 
to this church, Trinity Life Church. We're going to see all that God's prophesied. We're going to see it. But we have to be a New Testament church. We have to be that. Let me close with this. I've gone a little long, but that's all right. If you, if you need to go understand, I'm almost done. Sin affects the individual person many ways, emotionally, mentally, physically. It affects the church as a whole. Just like, hear this, just like Achan's sin affected all of Israel. A person's sin can affect the church. Thirdly, sin affects the world around us. When the church, I'm talking about our sin, the church's sin. We know they sin. They, that's normal for them, not normal for us, okay? So hear this. It affects the world around us and the way they view us and God and our message. Now, we close with this. If you put these verses up, 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter teaches us on this. 1 Peter 3. Verse 14. Now think about this. Peter was very concerned at how the people of God were portrayed in the world. And here's what he says in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Let's look at verse 14. Let's look at verse 13. And verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to any, everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear. Having a good conscience. Notice this. That when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Why? Because they may revile you, but then they begin to look at you and go, wait a second. We're persecuting them, but look at, look at, how, they, look at how their marriages are. They're not immoral like us. Oh, look, they don't lie like we do. They don't, you know, punch the time clock wrong so that they'll make extra money when they're not doing the work. They're honest. You see, they may defend you, but they're, they're going to be ashamed for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for good than for doing for evil. And then he, he talks in his book about, you know, if you suffer, don't suffer as an evildoer. You suffer for righteousness sake. And if you live righteously, I can assure you, you're going to suffer some. You're going to suffer every once in a while. That's the world that we live in. So think about this as we close. The sin of the man in the Corinthian church was affecting the entire body. Paul said, you need to deal with it. Now, let me say this. We're not talking about a fault-finding spirit. I've seen much of, uh, enough of those religious folks to last me a lifetime. I've dealt with enough Pharisees to last me two lifetimes. We're not talking about a, a, a critical, hyper-judgmental spirit that criticizes, you know, certain kinds of music or what kind of Bible they preach out of or how all that stuff is just foolishness. But what I'm saying is this, a true spirit of holiness truly wants the church to be holy and righteous and honor the word of God. 
Paul said, you've got to deal with that. Why? Because it's Christ's church. It's his holy body. He wants us to get the leaven out because a little bit of sin can do what? It can leaven the whole thing. It can leaven the whole thing. So let's stand. Let me pray for us as we apply this message to our own hearts tonight. Thank you, Lord. Church discipline or God's holiness and church discipline. Now, what we want to pray for tonight is something very important, and we'll close with this prayer. And that is that the Lord would make us all his holy people. That's God's plan. We're different. We're different because his spirit is in us. We've been changed by the gospel. And we're called and we're empowered to live differently. So what we're going to, what we're going to pray right now in our concluding prayer is this that God would make Trinity Life Church his holy temple. Ephesians says that, being a holy temple in the Lord. Father, we thank you tonight for your holy word. We want to live righteously, godly, honorable before you in this world. And Lord, your word said in Titus, you said that you've empowered us to do that by your grace. And so, Lord, I pray that your grace would be very strong among us. I pray that, Lord, that we would be careful how we live. We would be careful what we do, where we go, what we watch, what we allow in our lives. Because, Lord, we're affecting the body of Christ. We're affecting our witness in the world. And, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us about this. Fill us with your presence. Sanctify us by your words, by the washing of the water, by the word, continue to sanctify us, continue to let us grow, Lord, until that moment when we stand in your presence, completely transformed. But you said, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that for young and old alike here tonight, that you would make us, Trinity Life Church, a people that you desire us to be. And this we ask in your precious and holy name, Jesus. Amen. And amen. God bless each of you tonight as you, as you go in the Lord.